I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave. For the love of the game. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. We are your hosts, Pete and Robbie. Robbie, how are you feeling tonight? I am feeling I'm feeling pretty good, uh, for for the most part. The... The, the Virginia Tech sports were being buoyed by wrestling and women's basketball at present, but uh, other than that, um, pretty good. It is almost February, so um, the Hokie uh, Club has been clamoring for my donation, uh, if anybody has <laughs> yeah. that on their calendar. Uh, that ends at the end of February, so um, I say that jokingly. I will be making my donation, but that that is the top of mind item for me is uh, fiscal responsibility back to the school coming here in, in, in February. Yeah, they're they're pushing for those those donations right now, and you got until March, right, to make your scholarship fund donation. March one, they moved all, everything forward one month. I don't. Oh, okay. There's, I don't know what the reasoning is, but yeah, everything everything is. And that's why they're. I think they're hounding people like they always do, but they're also hounding people because it's a month earlier than it normally would be. All right, man. Well, why don't you give us a cheers real quick so we can kick this thing off? I I think I gotta go with women's basketball. This uh, program has been has been pretty lights out this season. So I, um, it's been, uh, it, it's interesting in a lot of sense. The, the personalities, I feel like maybe it's even because of the Sons of Saturday guys doing such good coverage and the podcast and everything, but the personalities mm-hmm. on the team have really, uh, you know, become so much larger. You know what I mean? It wasn't, you know, you always, I agree. You always knew like who, the football players were even like the second string guys would like, you know, be known the basketball team. You always knew probably eight guys on that team were just common household names, but now it's really, you know, bled into women's basketball, which I think is pretty, pretty awesome. And, um, and huge for not only the program, but just, um, you know, the women's basketball program in general. Yeah. Cheers to them. Yeah, they're rolling right now. And actually they're playing Duke. As we speak, it's a third quarter. The game is tied. And so they are in a little bit of danger of maybe losing a game here, but we'll see. Uh, They're on the road, which is always tough. They just took the lead 40 to 37. Hopefully they can pull it out. But I agree. The fact that they have that podcast with Kit Lee and Georgia Amore and other guests that are rolling through there, it does give a new uh, familiarity. (laughs) I can never say that word with those players and that team. And it's really, really cool. And hey, let's celebrate them because some of our other teams not doing so hot. So let's celebrate those women's players. Let's celebrate that wrestling win we got against NC State, our rival when it comes to wrestling. And that was such an awesome night and awesome win last Friday. Uh, football team, these are just the news and notes. And then I got a little housekeeping to do. But mm-hmm. football team got a few more commits in the portal since we last recorded. We're going to go over all that. Fontel Mines, our wide receiver coach, got a nice raise. Yes. How would you like to make over $400,000 in Blacksburg, Robbie? <laughs> that would be good living. So uh, <laughs> Blacksburg has definitely grown up, and the cost of living probably has increased, but not uh, anywhere near uh, what uh, what that increase is going to uh, to do for his home, home life. And it's funny. I, I was talking with some buddies about it, and they're like, is that the going rate to show someone how to catch? And it's like, it really doesn't have anything to do with the coaching of the position. It's all about the recruiting. And when you bring in the guys that Fontel Mines has brought in, you get a race. That is exactly right. It is that the game has shifted dramatically um, to 
full on Jimmy's and Joe's at this point and versus the X's and O's. Yeah. The basketball team, men's basketball, took a dive since we last recorded. They had a little bit of a losing streak, but we recently got a big win over the Duke Blue Devils a couple nights ago. And we're going to go over all the stuff that's been going on with them and maybe give some reasons for hope down the line as, as the season moves forward here. I do want to go over the Memory Lane podcast that we recorded a couple days ago with Billy and Sam and why that came across your feed and will continue to come across your feed. When we joined Sons of Saturday, we told you there was going to be a little bit of changes going on. But what's nice is our podcast, our normal previews, recaps, updates like this one are still going to come through the normal 2D feed. In addition to that, you'll just be getting memory lane episodes coming through the same feed. And so the main thing memory lane is going to accomplish is game rewinds, where we take classic games and we rewatch them, rehash them, talk about them with maybe guys that participated or just big fans that were at the games, all that kind of stuff, and go over it in detail and kind of take you back to that moment in time so you can relive it. And we're going to start first game is next week. We announced this at the end of last pod. If you don't know, we're going to do the double overtime game from 2017. The Buzz Williams led team that beat UVA in double OT at home. This is the game where Parentes drives to the hole at the end of overtime and the ball sits on the rim. Uh, iconic moment in Virginia Tech basketball lore. And so we're going to break that whole game down with some other guys, uh, other sons. It's going to be really, really fun. So you can look forward to that on this feed, two deep episodes, memory lane episodes. And we also wanted to announce our newest partner, Prize Picks. This is a daily fantasy app, Prize Picks. Residents of Virginia, North Carolina, and DC, as well as dozens of other states, can now make daily fantasy wagers with our very own Virginia Tech Hokies. That's something I haven't really seen anywhere. They're kind of like prop bets, kind of like parlay bets, but over-unders on Sean Padula's assists. You can do that with Prize Picks. Download the Prize Picks app. Use code MemoryLane, all one word, for a deposit match up to $100. So download Prize Picks today. Use code MemoryLane. Thank you, guys. Robbie, let's start off with the transfer portal. Yep, let's do it. We had an entry that was a little bit of a, a shaker there with Keyshawn King getting into the portal. And we all loved Keyshawn King coming out of high school. He made some big plays on the field, but unfortunately he's leaving us. And I don't know how you feel about it, but I think his injury history kind of is making me feel okay. Yeah. My first reaction was disappointment. And just because he, he really has been, even when his production wasn't up to snuff, when the run game was really struggling, that was really what we focused back on was the ability for him to bring something to the run game and, and get some production on, on the, in that facet of the game. And, but I quickly did just think back about the injuries and, you know, what those have looked like and, you know, time off the field uh, when, you know, obviously he would have liked to been out there and, and, and not to been in, been injured. But I, I, I wonder how much that factored into things coming into this offseason, how much it was just time for him to move on from the program. I do think it's a loss for us. I mean, that was that's a pretty known quantity in the in the run game. We know what he's capable of. Whether it was happening on every down or not was sometimes ebbs and flows of um, high productivity versus, you know, sometimes where it, it wasn't. But it, it does stink, and it was a, a, a member of the team that I think you and I spent a lot of time talking about and what we needed from him in order to have successful outcomes in games and or just not even have a chance in some instances. I mean, his talent was undeniable, but the ball security and the health were just two huge drawbacks. So yeah, going forward, maybe he does stay healthy, but he never seemed to, in three years, figure out how to put on decent mass he got a little bit bigger but he's always been slight and he and he almost lost us the game a couple times because of his fumbles this year I mean if Tucker Holloway doesn't fall on that one fumble like we don't win the game so um he 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 was a talent and I'm bummed to lose him because he seemed like a good hokey but uh with the transfer portal addition of Bezul Tutin 
That's right. I think that's I think that's right. I think that really lessens the blow of losing Keyshawn King. So let's talk about Tootin first here, uh, in terms of the takes that we got in the transfer portal. The guys coming in. Yeah. So I think it is. Um, it is a huge, huge backfill. So I, of all the people that have kind of becoming are coming into the program, I did get to see a few clips because they they made their way onto. You know the key play and some other sites and and people had uh, stuff on there and I have pretty high expectations for him and what he's going to do in the program honestly. Yeah, you mentioned the key play and French put an article out on Tutin and he was complimentary of his vision, his build. He's five eleven, one ninety five, but he's got thick legs, kind of a stocky build, and based on the film, he gets up the field quickly, kind of similar to how Khalil Herbert used to just hit the hole right away. He runs hard. He can break tackles. He can make people miss. He can catch. If you look at his stats, he had 1,700 total yards last year, 17 touchdowns. Now, 1,300 of that was on the ground, but 17 total touchdowns, that's that's almost as many as we had as offense. We had 24 touchdowns our entire offense over the course of the season, and Tootin had 17 himself. I know it's A&T. I know he's playing at FCS, but... This kid like doesn't belong at FCS, and that's something French said as well. Like you look at the film, you look at the way he can he can move and catch and all this stuff. Like he is impressive, and it's a huge pickup, and he'll compete for the starting job. Like he's gonna give Malachi Thomas a run for his money, and even though King's leaving, King was probably gonna be third string anyway. I believe behind those two guys. Yeah, and uh, to your point on the FCS stuff. I, I get it. It's a lower level of football, and there's a lower talent level maybe on the defense that he's going up against. But, dude, you still got to take all those carries. You still got to make all those rushes. Your body still gets worn down the same way that it it may not – the hits may not be as hard, but they're 95% of what you're going to catch at the FBS level in terms of getting hit, uh, having to make people miss, all those small attributes. Um, and, honestly, we have seen – countless numbers of, of folks make that jump from FCS to FBS and not miss a beat in terms mm-hmm. of their productivity. So I, this is not, you know, people want to make it out to be high school football versus college football. It is not. I mean, you are still going up against big dudes that want to rip your head off. You're still taking those carries. Your body is still having to maintain itself for a full season. You still have to have the skill to catch the ball. You, if In his particular case, when he's, he's doing that, you have to hold on to the ball. All of those same attributes are true. Yes, you have to step up your game a bit, and the, the talent and the athletes on the other side are going to be are going to be bigger and stronger, but it takes much of the same skill set. Don't you think that our FCS running back is going to have an easier transition than just about anyone else on the field? Yeah, I mean, look at what offensive linemen. That I mean, geez, that's got to be a tough jump from one to the right, other. Defensive right. linemen, I mean, the, with the defensive ends and the speed that those guys have these days, that's impossible. Cornerback, that's extremely tough with the quarterbacks that you're now going up against and the wide receiving talent, if, if if you had to pick a single position, I would probably go with maybe linebacker. It would be an e- a relatively easier transition, and running back would probably be the two that I would say, if you are a talent and a physical talent and a good football player, you can make that jump more easily than many other positions. Well, let's just look at the way running backs come out of college and then some are immediately good in the NFL. Like running back is just one of those positions. If you are good at it at one level and you're an elite player at that level, you're probably going to be pretty good at the next level. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm really excited for Tootin's prospects. I think it could be huge for our offense. We talked about Ollie Jennings and Chiron drones in our last podcast. So we're going to kind of just skip over them for a little bit for the time being. Jalen Lane was the guy we brought in since we last recorded from Middle Tennessee State. He's a wide out. He's five foot eight, but this kid is a weapon. He played mostly outside despite being five eight, and he recorded nearly a thousand yards. He had sixty nine receptions, nine hundred and forty yards and five touchdowns. He was twenty fifth in the country in receiving yards per game, eighty five yards per game. And you go to his punt returns, he was also an excellent punt returner. So he is going to be a huge help, especially when you pair him with Ali Jennings. Yeah, uh, he comes out of MTSU, and 
um, who also they MTSU plays against you know some tough talent every season. They schedule some tough games just given their location and where they are in the country. But he, you pair him up with his threat. I know he doesn't have the height. I know he isn't as as lengthy and um, as as people the Clemsons of the world are trying to nab out there and trying to get these huge kind of tall um, West Virginia does it a lot kind of tall wide receivers with big arms or long arms. I get that, but this guy's something special because at his size, he is extremely productive. And when you pair him with Allie Jennings and what he does, uh, that uh, I'm extremely excited, especially you, you, you have to do it within the context of how much challenge we have had in the wide receiver room mm-hmm. over the last mm-hmm. five years, if you want to really you know, go back that far. And Jennings himself was third in the country in yards per game. Now Jennings only played nine games, but if you go to yards per game, he was third in the country ahead of guys like Jalen Hyatt of Tennessee. Like Jennings is that dude. So now we have two top 25 receivers in yards per game in the country from 2022 about to be on our 2023 team. Not many teams are going to have that. Now, can we get the ball to them (laughs) with drones or Wells? I don't know, but we have wide receiver talent now, and we added even more to it with Daquan Felton coming in from Norfolk State. Now, again, an FCS guy at more of a skill position that's a little harder of a transition, but the beauty of Felton is he's 6'3". Yep. And so he's a little bit bigger than a lot of the wide receivers on our roster. He scored seven touchdowns, mm-hmm. and Jennings had nine. So you got five, nine, and seven TDs coming from these kids, in addition to all the TDs that Tootin's bringing. And Keep in mind, Tootin had 350 receiving yards, like I said earlier, himself, right. which is more than our highest returning receiver in Eric Gallo. So the amount of talent upgrade at the receiving position is just immense here. Yeah, and and I, I want to go back to something you said earlier that it, it always kind of irks me, it, and it is a common, a common phrase that everybody says, and, you know, okay, now you have all this talent out there, and can you get them the ball? How much harder is it going to be to get them the ball if you don't have that talent, right? Yeah. It, it, like, can't, it doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> Are you going to be like, well, you know, great, we have all these wide receivers, but we don't necessarily have a known quantity in quarterback. But it's like, okay, well, isn't there a little bit of a thought process? I know it's throwing the ball versus catching the ball, but if you can get guys that can get open, that are shifty, that are fast, that know their routes, that are good route runners, whatever the case may be, that are is more than just one person that you can double up on and you know and and do bracket coverage on. If if you have those things, it makes a quarterback's job easier. And we have seen that across college football mm-hmm. on numerous occasions where you have quarterbacks that are middling quarterbacks that are relatively productive and move up. They're not like, they're not elite. They're not top like in the nation, but they, they get pulled up because they have really good wide receiver talent and maybe a good running back behind them. And that makes their job a lot easier. And that's something I was going to bring up is the fact that wide receiver play in modern college football is probably the biggest game changer of how good your offense is going to be. Of course, an elite quarterback makes a difference. But if you have these guys, like think about Ohio State, for example, they had Marvin Harrison Jr. And they they would play really well when he's in the game. And later in the season, when he got hurt and had to leave the game, the effectiveness of the offense just disappeared. Like the elite wide receiver playmaking ability can help out a quarterback and an offense so much. A great quarterback will make, you know, wide receivers better. But great wide receivers will make an offense better yeah. because of the way the way they draw the defenders. So I this is just this is really big for us. And I know Smith, Caleb Smith was a good player, mm-hmm. but having this many more guys, in addition to the guys we're developing, the guys I think we brought in like seven wide receivers or something in, in the freshman class yeah. and the portal. Like it's absolutely insane. So there's there's a lot more guys to work with, see what happens in the spring and get some some talent at the outside positions and in the slot to help us out here. And and I'll add to that, it makes me bullish on um, the coaching staff because it's the way that college football is being played today, 
right? You can do it the Michigan way. You still can do it, right? I think Harbaugh has proven that it's not dead to play that hard nose, running, mm-hmm. just tough, you know, football the way that Alabama used to play. It's not completely dead. But nine out of ten teams that are successful are doing it this way, are doing yep. it with the wide receivers, are doing it the way TCU does it, are doing it the way that now Alabama is doing it. Granted, granted their wide receiver talent has fallen off in recent years, but look at how they've been playing. They're so yeah. so is the, how it's, there was their performance. That's how I, Ohio State. It is wide receivers fundamentally that have made wide rec- or have made Ohio State good over the last ten years straight, and all those guys have gone to the the NFL. That look at Georgia and the athletes that they get in. That is the way college football is being played today. So the coaching staff sees that and is moving that direction. You you can push against it, but you're going to have a harder battle. And if you can't get the talent that Michigan can get in, and I don't think that we can get the type of talent that Michigan's pulling in right now, you have to kind of go with the flow of how everybody else is doing it to be successful. Yeah, we're not going to play bully ball here at tech right now Mm -hmm. like that's that's just not the way it's going to go and this is modern football and it seems like from what we're seeing from the recruiting this is the direction they want to go emphasis on the wide receiver position we did get an addition to the defensive side of the ball and that was with Derek canteen a cornerback from georgia southern he's five foot ten i think he's got two maybe three years of eligibility left because i i believe his first year was 2020 and then he had to sit out a year for an injury so we may have him for a little while here but he was a top 30 corner in college football last season and passes defended per game he was over one pass defended per game and we're gonna put him with strong and mansoor delane yep and i i think it's a it's that is a needed pickup. I think we we know what we have in those two guys, and we we absolutely needed uh, in addition there. So I think uh, I'm I'm excited about the pickup, but I, I'm more so excited because it it was a it was a dire need uh, to get somebody else back there with the those two. Yeah, we saw what happened when Strong got hurt last year. Mm-hmm. Like the secondary really kind of fell apart, and if it hadn't been for us just getting lucky with a great freshman and Delaney, like. Who knows what would happen? Right. So that's that's a huge pickup for our depth, if nothing else. But now we got three corners. You can one for the slot and two for the outside. Like it, it's yep. awesome. Let's talk about the attrition. Uh, we said with Peoples, Tisdale, and Gallo were coming back yep. when we recorded, but we got great news in that Norrell Pollard is coming back. Someone, both me and you, said we wanted back desperately. Kendricks and Feldarius Payne, the transfer who got injured last year before he could ever play for us all three of those defensive linemen are back yeah huge news i I was looking at the six of these guys and i was thinking to myself maybe i'll ask pete who he's most excited of all six coming back but then i had a feeling i already knew that you were going to say pollard so then i was like (laughs) who is the second most excited uh that you would be about coming back Uh, yeah that's a better question because i think it's pollard for both of us um i'm gonna go with peoples like i i really think peoples in defensive backfield him and stroman could be really a nice pair back there next year. So I'll go with him. I'm excited about what Tisdale could do. Gallo, I think the ceiling is there. Gallo's a solid player. Yep. And but I'm more excited about Tisdale and Peoples, I think, than uh than than anyone else yep. there. I think that's fair. That's probably where I would go. And Payne is just a complete unknown. Yes. Like we have like maybe he'll be great. Maybe he'll really help the defensive end position, but who knows? I agree. If we could add anyone in the portal, and I asked you this before, you had said wide receiver, but we got that. <laughs> and so now I think we really need like some offensive linemen. I, yes. I know we brought in a bunch of freshmen last year, a couple more this year, but if there's one thing we could get still in this cycle after guys leave after spring, because right now the portal's closed. King entered on the last day, and so you can't enter the portal right now. You can still commit from the portal. But once the spring ends and guys see where they fit in or don't fit in, I think we're going to see another exodus out because we're over scholarship limit. I think we're at 91 right now. Yeah. It, <laughs> I was on, uh, as we keep harping back to it, but I was on the key play the other day and I was on the message board and but there was a perfect reaction. I can't remember what the the uh, the gif was that they somebody put, but it, it was talking about the transfers and then somebody said, hey, 
what's the deal with the offensive line? And it looks somebody said, well, it looks like looks like the coaches are just going to try and build up and work with what we have. And then somebody just responded with, oh, like that was it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And um, uh, that that I'm I'm worried. I am yeah. I am worried. I am fundamentally. I'm not going to hide it. I am. We need to either bring some people in or there has to be something up Rudolph's sleeve that I don't see right now because we are in a tough spot. Yeah. I mean, Meadows, Garrett, Chaplin, they're all going to have to take massive steps forward, right? Because this same crew coming back, it didn't look great last year. Mm-hmm. They, they improved in the run game at the end of the season when the scheme changed a little. So yeah. maybe that will continue, but everyone was hoping we were going to get something in the portal on the offensive line. And when I put out there on Twitter, like, Hey, what's the over under for portal takes in this cycle? Everyone was like over six and a half. That's the number I put out. Well, guess what? Right now it's six. Yeah. Like we're under, everyone's like way over, way over, way over. It's like, you need the scholarships for one. And you need to get the guys to choose to come here. Now, I love the guys we got. The the playmakers we got, undeniable great additions. But none of them are on offensive linemen. So I would like to get over that six and a half, get at least one, two more. But the scholarships are hard to come by right now. Yeah, we're, we only have, we can only put our chips in so many different places, right? Mm-hmm. And right now we're putting it on the wide receiver. The, the thing that's scary is what you said earlier and that was the run protection or the run, you know, blocking got better towards the end of the season. Well, you know, it was a challenge the whole season and never really got better was the pass protection. So it is great that we added these wide receivers. Hopefully they are very fast and get very open very, very quickly because that never really did improve. And that, that sucks if we can't come up with a solution there because that does negate what bringing in those wide receivers can do for the offense not fully but it it can it can uh, affect what kind of difference those guys can be by bringing them in if we can't really figure out a good solution and make sure that the pass protection is there and your comment about we're putting our chips in the wide receivers let's talk about those numbers because we got six quarterbacks on the roster, we got like 15 wide receivers taking up scholarships. <laughs> and I'm looking at the early enrollee list. We got two of the new freshman quarterbacks, which is cool because you want those quarterbacks to get in early, start their development process, you know, get a springboard going. But we're not going to carry six quarterbacks for long here. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. A, a couple of those are going to are going to need to go. And then I guess we have. What three offensive linemen coming in early uh, for early enrollees? Um, so, but yeah, we, and I think I think Ganim could contribute early. Yeah, I, him, Hammer, and Williams are the guys coming in, and you always want to see those offensive linemen get in early too. And getting three of those guys in for a spring is awesome. And Ganim is our our top recruit. Mm-hmm. I think based on what we saw last year, he could be a guy to contribute early of those early enrollees. The question, I guess, is. And maybe this is I I've we've all pay attention to the starters for the schools that we were talking about Ohio State's and the Georgias and like you know, TCU's all those sorts of things. I have not done the research to know the answer to this question, but are they bringing in fifteen guys and then quickly shedding five of them and getting back to ten, like letting get guys get out there, figuring out, diagnosing who's good, who's going to be productive, and. You know, maybe if you are number 13 on the list, you don't get four years to develop. You don't get, it's, it's one year and it's like, dude, you're not really, it's not, it's not clicking for you. You should probably hit the portal. Is maybe that's part of the mentality that's going to happen. So where, whereas those people uh, in the past, we would be thinking, okay, they're here. We're going to keep them around forever and just develop them maybe we're moving a different direction. Maybe it's going to be more churn and quicker evaluation and then quicker of, hey, it doesn't look like it's going to work out, you know, kind of shed people out. Yeah, and with the portal the way it is, maybe that's an open conversation that's being had early on, you know, after your first spring, after your first year. I don't know, but 
I do know that in a school like us, we still need to develop. So getting 11 guys to enroll early is always good. I, I noticed that uh, Ish Findlay later, mm-hmm. later, the guy, the Canadian defensive end yep. that is enrolling early. <laughs> that's nice too. Cause that kid's a project mm-hmm. and getting him a semester under his belt is great. Uh, in addition, cause we need young defensive ends. We don't have a whole lot of young defensive ends or defensive linemen in this class. And so it's nice to, to have him enrolling early. Uh, Cotman, the late addition to the class is enrolling early along with Mose Phillips, another late addition to the class. So yep. A lot of, lot of, lot of guys coming in. Uh, Coney, Green, and Baylor at the wide receiver position. Coney's a running back, so I'm looking forward to see what happens this spring because I'm thinking that a couple, at least a couple wide receivers are going to hit the portal, and at least one quarterback. Yeah. You know, a Taj Bullock or or a Farrell or something like that. Right, I agree. Recruiting update in general: the class is sitting at number 36 in the composite. Uh, we have the one four-star, which was Ganim, who's in school, 25 three-stars. Our six transfers rank 35th in the transfer portal class rankings. And so now they're giving an overall cycle rank, yeah. which I think is kind of funny. And it's number 41. Prize first full cycle being number 41. Could it be better? Sure. The thing about the transfers is it's still kind of the Wild West. The way they're rated, who needs what, like... And what that doesn't factor in when you have uh, the transfer portal class ranking, it doesn't factor in who you lost. Yeah. It's just your takes. And so you could have the number one transfer portal class, but if you lose 20 guys as well, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think 247 has figured out how to balance this quite yet. Here's the rub that happens with transfer portal guys is transfer portal folks are okay there are more of a known quantity than a guy coming out of high school and that's just a fact and right. i know that's a fact because if you look at the stats around quarterbacks the number of quarterbacks that have been successful and have played in the playoff just in like the last 4 years is insane i think it's almost it was some weird number like almost a 10 or 11 out of like 12 quarterbacks that have played in the playoff were all transfers right That's so crazy. i can't i'll look back i'll find the tweet it was it was something insane but it's and it's obvious why you've seen a guy play at that next level in college uh, and you can evaluate his skill set up against greater talent so what what i think is different about the portal is Take Allie Jennings, for example, right? Ohio State can pick up somebody like Allie Jennings, like no no problem, right? He might be fifth on their depth chart at a, at a school like Ohio State. Yeah. The impact of him going there is not the same as him coming to Virginia Tech. And that's different. That's different from five stars and four stars and three stars because those are, they're still crapshoots. Right, five stars that don't pan out. There's four stars that never even see the field. There's you know three stars that end up, you know, in the NFL. Right, it, it is a more of a crapshoot. So it it is more impactful to certain schools based on who they get in the transfer portal for two reasons. One, their roster needs that person coming in for the tiers that are not the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the you know, TCU, et cetera. And two, they're more of a known quantity. So it is, in my estimation, very different math that is yeah. is going on there. And I think one thing you're seeing is that the Phil Steeles, the Bill Connollys, the Athlon preview mags, like the old model of like projecting freshman to senior year, counting up stats, returning production, it is so impossible now. Like it is so hard to project the the top five, let alone the top 25, like these magazines attempt to do with the portal and, and teams swapping. And your point about Allie Jennings being more important to us than Ohio state, right? Like that he's invaluable to us, to, to them. He's another cog in the wheel. Right. And that's going to change the trajectory of our season potentially. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think Allie Jennings going to Ohio state changes it materially at all. Right. But, but in my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, for those for those analytics and those stats, they're just looking at Allie Jennings going to 
program. They don't care where mm-hmm. he goes or what mm-hmm. he fills as as a point score, right? A, a ranking, and that that is not correct, right? Like it's him, not how it works. It, for yeah, the poor. right. Because when he goes to Ohio State, that may be he may be awesome and elite, and he may never ever see the field, and he <sighs> will see the field. So it has almost like a bonus. It has like an enhancer, uh, depending on not just who the person is, how good they are, but also what are they filling, right? And that's it's more like the NFL, right? It, it, it's a lot more it like is. the NFL in terms and of draft, when they pick yeah. people up um, and or they pick people off of waivers or they trade for somebody or whatever the case may be. Exactly. Like think about when they have the draft and they're all graded out on how their draft was. And it's like, oh, the Eagles filled their need at this position, this position with this quality of player and this quality of player, and you get a grade. That's really more of what it is. Like this whole like assigning a point value with no regard for where they're going doesn't make sense. It's more should be more of like a grading system based on how many needs did they fill? What did they need the most? Did they address that? All that kind of thing. Yeah. And that's something I hadn't really yeah. thought about too much when it came to the portal class rankings, but it should be. Yeah, because when you look at the NFL, that's why you see, you know, the Eagles are going to make their pick and they're not looking at anybody that's like top 10 on the board in terms of like the top 10 on the board uh-huh, because uh-huh. they need a DB that's number 14. And it is happening. Alabama last year saw they didn't have one of their top quality running backs that they normally have on the roster. They'll go, they go out and they get Gibbs, right, from Georgia Tech, steal him from GT, take a P5 stud running back and pick him up. So it is happening. But, like, Gibbs, whether he went there or a team with five running backs, would get the same score. Yeah, exactly. so, so it's just kind of weird. But uh, let's take a quick beer break before we move on to basketball. Rob, are you drinking anything over there tonight? I am. So I found a new non-alcoholic beer, and it's awesome. So this is the Uncool Hazy IPA. I'll be honest with you. I've probably bought this five or this is out of Charlottesville. So this is a three-notched beer. So I did did not know that uh, until literally this moment. It is fantastic. So I know... um, always on here with the non-alcoholics but if you're looking for um a true hazy ipa with like a lot of flavor because that's that's ultimately what you lose with a lot of the non-alcoholic uh beers this is very very good uh it's the uncool uh non-alcoholic ipa so that's um it fits me pretty well i gotta check that one out yeah i love three notch beers yeah so uh that's what i got i found it that hit the shelves in at least where i am maybe maybe three weeks ago Nice. Yeah, how about you? I am drinking the Sound Machine Extra Pale Ale from South Country Brewing Company out of Fawn Grove, PA. It's got great artwork. It's skeleton with a pair of headphones, Sound Machine Extra Pale Ale. I actually Googled what is Extra Pale Ale (laughs) because I wasn't exactly sure. All it means is it's made with more of the pale malt than a typical pale ale. Mm. And so... It, it they tend to be i think a little bit more bitter in nature this one i think they've added some type of sugar lactose or something but it's hazy in the glass not super hazy you can still see through it but it is delicious very good beer 6.8% alcohol right where i want to be I, probably just a little bit more sugar than i need and something that i'm just kicking back and relaxing it's not supposed to be it's not desserty, mm-hmm. but it's still on the sweet side. So the initial taste is like, wow, that's really good. But after a while, you're like, I don't, I don't need so much sugar. But the Sound Machine from South Country Brewing, I would recommend it. It's, it's pretty darn good. So the, I haven't heard that term used like the extra pale ale um, very often. But going back to my my drinking days, I remember the torpedo. I the torpedo Sierra Nevada, I believe, is an extra pale ale or an extra uh, IPA. That's probably the only other time that I've seen it referenced before. So I, I, when I looked it up, uh, Sweetwater was one of the first ones that came up. They've always had an extra pale. Um, not that I've ordered it a bunch. I know I've had it in the past, but I, you're right. Like there's not too many I can think of, but the torpedo is, is kind of triggering something. It, Sierra Nevada definitely has. One. Yep. All right. Let's talk hokey hoops, man. 
We recorded right after I think it was the UNC win, right? <laughs> we're not I, I, we're not taking any responsibility for this what what happened. I mean, the the timing honestly is outrageous for you know we there were a couple more wins no i think we recorded later than that i think we might have had we had the dayton win and we might have had the oklahoma we had 11 we had 11 wins when we recorded and now wait maybe we had 10 we had 10 okay okay? because we won grambling state and we won this one so grambling state happened on 12 17 (laughs) it is it is now you know the 24th or whatever of january um so yeah, there was a little bit of a slide in there. We lost seven straight, and it was mainly because Hunter Couture went down with an injury against BC. Yeah, we go up to BC. It's always a house of horrors, whether it's football or basketball. We can never seem to get our crap together up there. And Couture got hurt. The game goes to overtime. We lose by five because we just don't bring it in overtime. And the team start started to spiral mm-hmm. downwards after that. Wake was close. Uh, Clemson was close the first time. NC State was pretty close. Syracuse and UVA happened, and the wheels the wheels came off. Now Hunter did come back for the UVA game, and he played decent. He went you know four of eight from three, rebounds, assists. But we got off to a terrible start in that game, clawed our way back. But they overwhelmed us in JPJ, and like you're not no fault for losing in JPJ to a very good Virginia team, but. It was Hunter's first game back, and his impact was noticeable, very noticeable, but we couldn't get the win. Then we go to Clemson, on the road, number one team in the ACC, and this is a rock fight, right? Mm-hmm. The, it, the score is so low. We're winning most of the second half, and it comes down to the end. Clemson get, gets a lead, of course. We're missing tons of shots, and Hunter... The man of the hour has a chance to win it. And it w- might have been his worst shot of the season. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> it was the the rust had not come off uh, from uh, from his timeout. That, Raindrops. Yeah, that was it was just like uh, along came Polly. Uh, it not good. That was tough. 51-50. And that was, I mean, in that seven game slide, what we had. Uh, a five-point loss, a two-point loss, a three-point loss, a four-point loss, and then th- yeah. then you had this, which was a one-point loss with a chance to win it at the end. Uh, really, and we need to mention the injury to Rodney Rice, yeah. who our star freshman, who we've all been waiting for to play. He makes his debut against Syracuse in the dome. He doesn't shoot well, and then after the game, we find out he's broken his finger or something. And so now he's out again. So we finally thought we were getting some guard help in Rice coming in. Maybe he'll save the season. Well, that didn't happen. So thank goodness Hunter was healthy enough to come back. The rumor is that he broke his elbow. Wow. I I did not hear that. that. Yeah, and that it's still broken in, in some form or fashion. That's why he's wearing the big pad. And he's left a game or two like wincing after like taking a hit on it. Um, but he's toughing it out. And finally we play Duke the other night and we win 78, 75 great performances from Basile Hunter and MJ Collins. We led most of the way and it started because we got off to a great start 48 to 35 at the half. So we had 45 in that first half and only 50 in the previous game. Unbelievable! I, I couldn't believe how, how well we were moving the ball and making shots in that first half. Yeah, just a, and I, I, you would, you would expect don't when those slides happen and you just get and you can almost see um, if you look at it from a statistical perspective, like you could see a sinking into the hole and then some coming back out of it on like the other end, and then including the Clemson game, which was a really really tight game, uh, like you said, and then to go in and and get that. That Duke win is just, it's so huge. And quite honestly, I think, um, you know, hopefully uh, Hunter is, I mean, I, did, I had not heard that. You got me a little bit spooked about him, but um, hopefully hopefully he's on the, on the mend because maybe we're coming back out of this trough. Yeah, and, you know, when Duke started to come back in the second half, um, we weren't playing Darius Maddox, if you noticed. And Lynn Kidd was staying on the court a little bit longer. And it allowed Basile to play the four. And he had a great second half. He scored 15 of his 24 points in the second half. Eight rebounds, two assists, two blocks. He had a great game. And at times this year, 
Grant has gone missing. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's been a little frustrating because because of the way he started in his first game and shooting the basketball so well. He's not a perfect player, but he has the ability when Mike Young is pressing the right buttons to really play well. And he did in that second half against Duke, and he got us that win. Uh, kid's proje- progression has been really nice because I wasn't sure we were even going to be able to ro- rely on him this year, but he's really stepped it up the last few games, last you know ACC play, whatever, and it's always looked pretty strong out there. So that could prove effective. They cut Mutt's minutes a little bit. Like someone's mm-hmm. got to give, right? So Mutt's only played 30 minutes, which is still a lot of minutes, but he was playing 38, 37 every single night, and he only played 30 because Kid played a little bit more. And so that's an interesting wrinkle. We'll see if that continues going forward or is that just a Duke matchup thing? Yeah, we did. We shot really well. I mean, we shot almost over 50% from from three in that game. So, um, and, and honestly, the Duke... Duke did not. I think that was partly because of the Hokies and, and what we were doing, but um, that I think that was crucial. And during some of that slide, that was that was that was that was we were really hurting in that area. It's it's always weird when you want to blame the slide on one thing because it's never just one thing. Right. But really, losing Hunter, it was so dramatic on this team, and I don't think we realized how much he's doing all the time. It's exponentially helpful to have him because we have very little guard and wing depth and we need a body and Hunter is a very good body. So whether it's spacing or screens, passing, cutting, defense, shooting, like he's our best defender and he's our best shooter. And so that alone, but he also does so many little things that don't get quantified. And that's why we're so much better when he plays. He also prevents Padula from pressing and kind of trying too hard to make plays. And it allows Padula to get cleaner shots because you're, the spacing is better. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is an absolutely exponential help to have him back. And that five of 10 from three in the Duke game. Yeah. I mean, the Duke fans got to hate him right now oh, absolutely. after what he did to them yeah. <laughs> in the championship game. And now this, yeah. um, yeah, he's, he's, he's hugely important to this team. Um, Padula, I, I mentioned he he was pressing a bit. He's been going to the rim so much, I think, trying to get fouled. And, and that's not really uh, Mike Young basketball. That's something uh, they were talking about. Shelton Moss mentioned that in his article. And, and like, it's motion. You know, that's what Mike Young needs in his offense. You need to move the ball, get open looks, whatever. And without Hunter, it makes it very difficult. And when Padula is pressing, he's just deciding to run to the rack and get fouled. Or he's missing his shots. Yeah. And he missed a ton of shots while Hunter wasn't playing. And the whole team, the two-point shooting percentage just went in the tank. We talked about how well we were shooting from two-point range in our last podcast. Well, that went down the tubes when Hunter went out. Mm-hmm. Like, the spacing was all off. And it's not even spacing, really. Because we missed so many gosh darn layups. Like, it, it's some of it is just dumb luck. Yeah. Like, I don't know. If you look at our luck rating, which... I'm not sure how that's put together, but in the Ken Palm, we have one of like the 20 lowest luck ratings in the country out of 360 teams. So wow. we're, we are not getting lucky. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that is the two point obviously was a, a dramatic change. And, and your point is, is well taken because the Buzz Williams uh, strategy in the offense was the foul line. It was that it was drawing fouls and getting, um, you know, Drive two points kick. out of there and causing causing the other team to get into foul trouble. And that was the stat. It was, there was some spacing involved in it, but it was more mathematical that way in, in the way that he was approaching it. Um, I feel like we are now, it is much more about flow and spacing in this offense and and more so than trying to drive and, and, and get two points and, and cause foul trouble for the other team. We do need to talk quickly about the emergence of MJ Collins because he was critical in that Duke game. In his last three games, he's made five out of his five out of seven three point attempts, fifty percent from the field in his last five games, and at least six points in four of his last five games. So he's a real contributor. 
uh, at this point in the season. He also contributed a throat punch to <laughs> Filipkowski in that game, which, uh, listen, when you're playing Duke and something like that happens, you just have to laugh. <laughs> that, that, I mean, yes, it's, yeah, you never, you never want to see it, but sometimes you kind of want to see it. So uh, yeah. that's, uh, it. I'll, I'll take it. And it happened to be, like, he's their best player. Yeah. Like, Duke's team is a young team, and they really are were one guy. That guy was really freaking good, though. Philip Kowski's a really good freshman. But Collins basically made the clinching basket in that game, made one of two free throws that was kind of clinching as well. So if he can continue to play with energy, because he, he just he plays so hard. And it's it's so fun to watch him play. If he can continue to contribute and get more minutes, it's rare for Mike Young to rely on freshmen that much. Yep. You you didn't you haven't seen it much from him. Whether it was Bamasile a couple years ago or Maddox, like he doesn't do that. Yep. And speaking of Maddox, that's the last that was the last thing on my list. Actually, what's wrong with Maddox? Yeah. He barely played in in the Duke game. Yeah, he what had six minutes. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he had six minutes and he had a he had a blank stat line the, yeah. the, across the board. Not not a single stat I think he registered in that game other than six minutes. Unlike Couture, he does not do little things well. When Maddox, he's a shooter, right? Like that's the, Chris Coleman mentioned it on TSL, but like he is a shooter, and when he's not shooting, it, everything can fall apart because he. He's he doesn't defend particularly well. He doesn't pass particularly well. Screen well. He's just an inefficient player if he's not making shots, and he hasn't consistently made shots all year. And after the game, was it the Clemson game? He was zero for six. Yeah, I was looking at and, it right there. Twenty he played twenty minutes. He went zero for six. He went zero for two from three point, and he had uh, two rebound or three rebounds. I mean, he's he's killing your team. Yeah. Like I I I hate to say it, but like that not getting production and that many minutes kills your team. And I think Mike Young was like, "We got to try something else." Like because we needed that Duke win so desperately, yeah. and so maybe we'll see more Maddox when we go up against Syracuse in the next game. But I I have to say, like the team just looked a lot better out there without him playing that much. Yeah, it's tough, and I'm just going back through some some of his stats. So against Virginia, he was five for nine, three from four from three. So he was he was okay and and did well, and, and that game was relatively efficient. But um, yeah, he just he got he got blanked in that Clemson game, and I think that's when it was the decision was made just to pull the ripcord on it. Um, you know, and that that's that's what happened. He's had moments this year, but he hasn't been able to to stack them. And, and I think that's gotten a little frustrating for, for coach. Um, rest of the season outlook. We're 47th in the Ken Palm right now, 52 in the net rankings as of today. We have two quad one wins, and a couple of them keep fluctuating in and out between Oklahoma State, Penn State, Duke, and UNC. Those are our four best wins, and they keep bouncing in and out of Q1 or whatever. So we need those teams to keep playing well. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be beneficial, but nothing's going to matter unless we win games. And so two and seven in ACC play yet again. Yep. I really think like we got to win at least nine mm-hmm. in ACC play. If we want a chance at the tournament, Ten, I mean, eight, wait, I'm sorry. We need to get to nine wins. So that means seven more wins or eight more wins. Like if you're 10 and 10 in ACC play, I think we'll make the tournament. It does depend where they fall because you can't just beat every bad team and not get another quad one win. But there's enough games on here between Miami, UVA. We get Duke at the end of February. Of course, that's going to be in Cameron. Not going to be easy. But Miami twice. And you got BC, ND, GT, Pitt, Louisville, and FSU. Like all winnable games. Mm -hmm. And so can we get to nine wins in ACC play? Because if you get to nine in ACC play, you add your out of conference, and then maybe you win one or two in the tournament, ACC tournament. You could make the dance. Yeah, and I think that really, to your point, is predicated on whether Hunter is actually healthy and recovered mm-hmm. or not. Like we have, we have seen the the facts of what this team looks like without him, 
and when he mm-hmm. is is either hurt or hurting pretty bad and so if he's not healthy i think the chances are very slim if he is healthy i think we have a with we have a shot yes i mean he he's got to continue to look like he did last game yep and and you're right we're one blow to his arm away from that potentially being gone but i'm acting as if he'll be healthy and if he is we're going to we're going to have a chance and we should beat bc at home mm-hmm. notre dame gt louisville and fsu they should be wins of course we always struggle with fsu um pitt they've been playing better this year but we get them in castle yep. so we'll have we'll have our chances uh, and Mike Young, as we saw last year, he has a way of figuring things out towards the end of the year. Yep. So I think this Duke win could be a springboard. We got Syracuse this weekend. That's as close to a must win at home as we're going to have, I think. Like, we got to get this win against Syracuse. Yeah. And yeah, having the 10 point loss to them, hopefully. Hopefully we come out fired up and 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 ready to fight in that one because yeah I think you have to get that win otherwise it gets it gets the math gets the math tough. gets almost impossible the math gets very nit ish uh, so yes. very quickly <laughs> yes. absolutely well I think that's gonna do it I don't have anything else do you have any final comments or anything on the I don't I'm glad for the pod. glad to be back and and recording and uh, we wanted to get this out there let people hear about what's been going on in the portal let uh people know that we are we are alive and well and we um we're excited about the the cutover and things have gone relatively seamless yeah man I, absolutely yeah we definitely wanted to put something out there make sure you know we're still around and that we're still going to be around um and as the game rewinds continue to get posted you're going to hear different voices uh, i might be on some Robbie's going to be on maybe a couple here and there. We're going to see, but you're going to hear from new sons of Saturday. You haven't heard from, you're going to hear from Billy and Pat and Grayson, your normal guys, but there's a lot of young guys that are working for the sons that want to get their voice out there. And they're going to be on some of these episodes talking about these classic games because we're all huge Hokie fans that love this team so much and have such great memories that I think memory Lane's going to be a really cool. What do you say? Um, auxiliary podcast <laughs> in addition to ours right like yeah. the, the what it'll add in value to this feed will be immense yeah. because you're going to get a blast from the past and you're going to get current all together on one feed so make sure you stay tuned make sure you subscribe these days i really think spotify is a better way to subscribe yeah apple they we all know over the years their podcast app hasn't changed much but spotify you'll be able to see when the episodes come up, oh, the Memory Lane artwork, that's a Memory Lane episode. Oh, the Too Deep artwork, that's a Too Deep episode. Like On Spotify, it's all laid out nice and clear for you. And make sure you subscribe on there and rate us on Spotify. We have a lot of Apple ratings. We don't have many Spotify ratings, and it's easy to do. So if you could do that, that would be great. If you want to email us, you can still email us. It's 2DeepVT at gmail.com. And... I think that's it. Yeah. We're, we're shutting down the website. So we're not going to tell you to go to 2DVT.com anymore. We don't need to pay for it. We're part of the Suns. We're going to we're gonna close that chapter, but we do have all the data on all the beers and everything if you ever want to see it. My, my CSS coding career has finally come to an end. That I am, <laughs> And let me tell you how disappointed I am about that um, yeah. and how much of a, a pain getting uh, everything on the website was. But no, it's... Uh, uh, and to your point... That we've been on, we've been on Apple for nine years. Apple Podcasts, and they have made like two small tweaks to that. They have, for how much volume gets drived you know, oh through God. that, Apple has completely just disregarded their ad, the podcast app, like in so many ways. It it is still the same way it was like 10 years ago i get it it's simple easy for people to understand but like like you said volume i want to say 70 percent, maybe 75 is coming of our downloads go through apple yeah right through the through the apple podcast app or itunes or whatever like spotify's catching up mm-hmm. but it's it's like 10 percent. yeah you know it's it's not much and there's just so many things that they could do to make it easier to use and they're just always like eh screw it People are using it. That's fine. 
<laughs> right, right. And yeah, how many how many employees do they have that could have just written some new code for the app? But they must like the way that it is. Yeah, but no. anyway, I think I think eventually they will. They're going to start to catch up as well. Yeah. But we shall see. For now, that's going to do it for the podcast. Until next time, when hopefully we've gotten a win over Syracuse and Miami and UVA at home. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.